The Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. So, Senior Apprentice, thank you for joining me out here on the landing. I just wanted to mention to you that uh, I don't think Heinrich is aware of the true identity of our uh, mutual friend, the Elf Turalian. Now, as you and I know from witnessing the altercation between the Guildmaster and the Elf, he was once an assassin of Cain from the city of Haggreif in Nagaroth and a part of the Dark Elf Corsairs that raided Remas back in 1487. However, how exactly he became stranded here in the Old World is unclear to me, as are his current allegiances. I think Heinrich is still under the impression that Turalyon hails from Athel Lauren and goes by the name of Leafstar. Thus, with this in mind, I think now is probably not the right time to reveal Turalyon's dark secret to the night. I say, let the elf attend to those matters himself. In the interim, we shall have to try and keep this under our hats. I would not like to sour his friendship with the elf unnecessarily, nor earn his ire. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Agreed, and understood, Master Tavernkeeper. Thank you. Oh no, oh no. My apologies for not having discussed this with you earlier. Anyway, I think uh, we'd better get back inside. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Apprentice Morelli. New and novel experiences are rarely a bad thing. Life is much more fun if you are... Uh... Ah! Master Tavernkeeper, you have returned. I trust uh, everything is good. Indeed, indeed, my lord knight. Never better. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Uh, anyway, Heinrich... Uh, shall we return to your tale? Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's begin again. We have at last come to the uh, Battle of Talax. The city was set upon by uh, dark elves, hailing from Hagagreif, the same evil brood that had attacked the city of Remus right here in Tylea. By the way, Master Tavernkeeper, you should speak to my friend Toralian about that, as he was part of that raiding party back in 1487. Of course, uh, that was a very long time ago, and he is now a fully reformed elf. Ah, uh, well, well, mostly. <laughs> oh, you already know about that. Yeah, yeah, and a lot more besides. He is my friend after all. Few men, uh, no elves, uh, do not have a uh, dark and sordid past in my experience. But uh, that story is his to tell, not mine. Zoviso, back to the attack on Tilax. 
Muchlag Zia Faithful Laid back in 1487 on these shores. The dark elves fell upon the city of Stalax in secret and took it by surprise. The larger force of raiders had apparently penetrated upriver to the north, blindsiding the regular skink patrols and approaching the city from the west. The skink interpreter Huini Pachutli told Marco that at that time a large portion of the army of Talax was still engaged in patrolling the city of Zahutek, also known as the uh, City of Echoes. Zahutek was a temple city that apparently fell long ago. The abandoned city to the uh, west of Tilax was said to be the domain of demons, and although it had ostensibly been purged two centuries earlier, the nearby cities still sent large forces to patrol the jungles around the city of Echoes in rotation. In uh, 1493, the duty fell upon the shoulders of Tilax, and this was to have some near-dire consequences for the city. So, Viso, Marco described the attack to my grandpapa in some detail. Suddenly, there was a commotion. I turned to Huini Pachutli to find out what was going on, and he led me up to one of the platforms on the nearest pyramid to get a better look. In the white thoroughfares and plaza, the skinks were beginning to assemble for battle. They had marched out as soon as the alarm had been raised, not long after daybreak, with their standards glinting in the waxing morning light and the sound of their drums drowning out the dawn chorus. It was both an inspiring and terrifying sight to behold. Mixed in with the skinks were large, troll-sized crocodilian lizards with massive hammers and uh, maces, and whose presence was primarily there to intimidate their enemies. But they also added some uh, harder-hitting power to the skink units they joined. Also, Accompanying the skinks were smaller units of large reptiles akin to uh, giant lions that were goaded along by a plucky handlers. To the rear of the skink, maniples, whose main role was as a skirmishers, apparently, was the real backbone of the army. Cohorts of Soros warriors in massed ranks, armed with spears, barbaric hand weapons, and protected by both their harder carapaces and toughened lizard skin shields, were there in greater numbers. Last of all came the lumbering monsters of the jungle that the lizard men had bent to their will. Nearest to our pyramid was a heavy set beast with bony horns and a great crest. On its back, swinging to and fro as the beast strode forward, was a tall structure which Winnie Pachutli told me was called a howdah. Upon this rode a good number of skinks. A pair manned a large oversized bow resembling a boat thrower, whilst others bore javelins. The interpreter 
The interpreter told me that there were many other troops amassing for the defense, but these were out in the jungle and were attempting to steadily outflank their foes through the swamps. The High Mage Lord Zitli was apparently too deep in thought to be disturbed, and so overall command of the army had been delegated to the Mage Zlitok, the slan we had uh, first met in the ruins. But uh, his role was more supervisory, and as with much in the Lizardman cities, the real command of the army fell to the skinks, with the chiefs, Kopketler, and uh, what you looking at, taking actual command on the ground. Kopketler commanded the left flank, and what you looking at, the right, whilst the slan led the forces that were already out in the jungle. The lizard men below us marched out into the depths of the jungle to engage the raiders before they reached the city, and although we couldn't see them, we could still hear the goings-on. It seemed that the battle was quickly joined, and the din of ferocious fighting was both fear-inducing and auxiliarating. The sound of melee continued for some time, but became louder and louder, almost as if it was getting nearer and nearer. Suddenly, out of the greenery surrounding the city, scattered groups of skinks darted out of the undergrowth and came running down the thoroughfares leading to the plaza. Behind, Battle-worn cohorts of Saurus warriors, too, appeared, their numbers depleted by battle attrition. They were fighting a rear-guard action in order to allow their smaller skink brethren to fall back unmolested and muster to defend the city itself. Below our vantage point, frenetic skink chiefs rounded up their disparate warriors using their standards, which I could now see were depictions of the god Asotek as rallying points, and they soon managed to create an ad hoc battle line across the plaza facing the jungle. I looked over at Winnipatrutli, he seemed very agitated and paced around on a platform, gnashing his teeth under his sink. This is not good. This is not good, Wormblood. They should not be here. At that very moment, the forces of the enemy surged out of the jungle, down the thoroughfares and into the plaza. It seems they had not expected heavy resistance, and upon seeing the rallied forces of the lizard men, they hesitated. As more of the pursuing dark elves flooded into the area, they too began to reform and created a wall of warriors clad from head to foot in dark blue robes and black armor. 
Above their heads, red banners danced like macabre tongues in the breezes that continuously whipped across the plaza, and their engraved skulls on the shields that they held winked with menace in the noon sun. The heart of the enemy was a throng of crazed witch elves. I had seen a few of their number before in the Arabian fighting pits of Lashik, and I knew to both fear and loathe them. Here, they were in their element, though, each prancing and taunting the stoic lizard men. They were already smeared with the blood of the fallen, and through their manic dancing, they tried to urge on the rest of the army to greater extremes of slaughter. Overseeing this pageant of perversity was a group of sorcerers bearing rods and orbs, which crackled with the energies barely held within them. One of these had perched herself upon one of the large stone lizard sphinx statues at the entrance to the plaza, and appeared to be directing the goings-on. This was clearly their commander, I thought. Battle was soon once again joined, the remaining units of skink skirmishers raced forwards, discharging their javelins and shooting off their blowpipes before retreating again. The elven horde ignored the hail of shots discharged by the skinks and began to press forward with great discipline, stepping over their impaled and dying comrades with neither care nor thought. They once more clashed with the Saurus warriors. The surviving skinks scurried away, though, fleeing up the steps of the pyramids. In the confined space at the plaza, there was no room to retreat, and yet the Saurus had no choice but to give ground to the unrelenting ferocity of the elves' assault. I witnessed at least one unit of these indefatigable warriors refuse to give way, and they disappeared beneath the enemy's blades in a mist of blood. The triumphant cries of the elves chilled me to the very bone, and it is a sound I will never forget. The remnants of the nearest cohort of Saurus warriors began a fighting retreat up the steps of our pyramid. I remember thinking that if these Saurus fall, then there will be no escape for neither me nor Huinipachutli. Are we doomed? I asked the interpreter. Huinipachutli shook his head. Vigorously. Not yet, not yet, warm blood. All is not as it seems. But uh, as I look down, the enemy advance and the brutality of the attack had clearly forced the lizardman's battle line to pivot 
around our very own pyramid in order to keep the elves from getting into their flanks and then rolling up the line. The Saurus defenders savagely struck down their assailants whilst the skinks behind them on the pyramids continued to pelt the enemy with missile fire. This approach managed to drive the elves back again and again, but the butcher's bill was punishingly high. The Saurus used the brief moments between each assault to pull out the crossbow bolts from their thick hides and take one or two steps forward. But the situation looked grim, at least to my eyes. The defenders of the Great Pyramid to our right were suddenly and dramatically overwhelmed by the Dark Elves, and I thought that surely the day was lost until suddenly the haunting sound of an uncountable number of reed pipes and the crashing thunder of massive resonant drums boomed out across the battle, emanating from the heart of the pyramid itself. From the great dark portal on the highest platform of the pyramid outstrode a procession of skink musicians and bronze-clad temple guard brandishing their massive halberds with menace. Behind these came an extraordinary sight. Four huge temple guard wielding double-headed maces and wearing armor made from the bones of gigantic monsters escorted an ancient palanquin. Upon the levitating conveyance, instead of a slan mage priest, there appeared to be nothing more than a bundle of rags tied up with string decorated with colorful plumes of feathers and littered with glittering gold artifacts. Attached to the top of this object was a golden mask that had been fashioned into the face of a grimacing mage-priest. It had a large staring inlaid eyes of lapis lazuli and topaz that were very disconcerting, and as I looked at the palanquin, I felt the same dizzying effect I had experienced during my meeting with Lord Zitli. At the emergence of the palanquin, the intensity of the drums and pipes increased. It was an eerie, hypnotic tune that I shall never, ever forget. This bizarre procession then slowly began to descend the steps of the pyramid towards the charging enemy. I looked over at my fellow observer. Weenie Pachutli was beside himself with manic excitement and let out a bellowing high-pitched roar. <coughs>
The appearance of the palanquin had an immediate effect on the other nearby lizardmen too, and the remaining skinks and Sora seemed to become energized by its presence. I would later discover that this bundle of rags was really the mummified remains of the mage priest Lord Zepek, an ancient slan of the first spawning who had died in something called the Great Catastrophe, something that Huini Pachutli would say no more about. Instead, the skink told me how the spirit of certain uh, very powerful dead mage priests can hover near their dried body husks after passing, and that powerful magical energy still emanates from them. These uh, relic priests, as they are known, can uh, spirit mail with their servants and channel powerful magics through them to smite their enemies. Suddenly, back on top of the Great Pyramid, the palanquin, its attendants, and the bronze-clad temple guards surged forwards into the nearest of their confused foes. This sent the nearest elves toppling off the pyramid and plummeting down to the plaza far below, where they were bloodily impaled on the weapons of one of the larger units of dreaded spearmen. The other nearby dark elf units suddenly seemed to flinch, hesitate, and then, begin to recoil from the relic priest and his entourage. Far behind the cadre of enemy sorcerers quickly noticed the changing dynamic of the battle and advanced towards the mummified slan. They unleashed a storm of fireballs and crackling dark lightning as they did so. Eldritch energy flew from the magical artifacts borne by the sorcerers, and the relic priest was engulfed in an explosion of malicious fire that left only a miasma of dark fumes. The pipes and drums suddenly fell silent for a moment. Before, starting up again, louder and faster than before, the fumes dissipated to reveal the palanquin and its long-dead occupant singed but whole. The now triumphant guardians of the slam were clearing a path for it, hacking down dozens of elves with every step forwards, the nearest demented witch-elves brandishing their lethal daggers leapt over the heaps of slain Nagarothi, only to be mercilessly cut down by the long halberds of the temple guard 
before they could ever reach the palanquin. Everywhere, the remnants of the cohorts of Skinks and Saurus rallied to their standards and once more attacked the Dark Elves. The sorcerers were maddened by rage and charged out in from the midst of the remaining witch-elves to attack the palanquin. A bizarre sound like a moan and searing flashes of magic suddenly filled the air around the palanquin and the sorcerers were flung hither and thither before being coldly dispatched where they fell by the temple guard. The palanquin moved relentlessly onwards. Ranks of Saurus butchered their way through the enemy to reach its flanks and protect it. The procession was in the plaza by now, driving against the bulk of the witch-elves and the survivors of their other regiments. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, even more lizardmen flooded into the plaza. The flanking forces under the leadership of the slan mage priest Zlitok had finally reached the battle. These were accompanied by more jungle beasts, many of whom bore archaic weapons upon their backs that rained magical fire onto the elves under the direction of the slan, who also added his own magical prowess to the downpour of fire. Above, pterodons and other flying creatures either dropped rocks on the encircled elves or dove into their midst and dragged screaming victims away back up into the skies. The dark elves now found themselves hemmed in and forced back towards a great rectangular pond with no possible route of escape. They fought with all the desperation of a cornered animal, but it was to no avail. The lizardmen moved forwards, step by bloody step, and as the front ranks fell to the weapons of the Saurus, the rear ranks of witch-elves and warriors were shoved off the edge of the pond and into the depths of the waters. The screams of the elves were audible even over the din of the slaughter and the water frothed, growing redder and redder by the second. The jubilant Winnie Pachutli grabbed me by the shoulder and yelled, Piranha! Piranha! The enemy commander was the very last to plunge to her doom, an angry curse on her lips as she was torn to shreds. When the lizardmen were sure that there were no more dark elves left alive, the Saurus reverently escorted the palanquin back up the pyramid again to the sound 
of the skink musicians playing once more. And so at last, a dear Frederick, six years later, Remus is avenged. And that was the Battle of Talax. It was on the following day that Marco and the Skinks returned to the sailors' camp on the beach. But there is one more bizarre phenomenon that Marco saw on that fateful day, which I wish to relate. As night began to fall, Marco was sat upon the top of the pyramid, basking in the victory of the day. He then told my grandpapa that a coldness gripped the city. Down below, he saw spectral forms suddenly shift into existence and began to battle one another for possession of the city. On one side were mighty ghostly saurus marching to war, but on the other were hordes of leering demons. Queenie Pachutli quickly came to Marco and bade him avert his eyes. Do not look on it. This sight is not for your kind warm blood. Do not look upon it if you value your sanity. By holy Mermidia, what is it? Talax is also known as the city of ghosts. It is scarred and haunted by the far distant past etched into the very air itself, to be replayed over and over at the alignment of certain constellations. It gets worse year by year, and Lord Zitli has proclaimed that the city will one day have to be abandoned if it continues. But do not think on this. Your fate lies elsewhere. 